Welcome to Understand Murdoch, a podcast from the Post and Courier, South Carolina's largest newspaper. Our award-winning reporters have spent more than a year digging into the Murdoch saga to bring you the latest news and in-depth analysis as we cover this story of drugs, deceit, and death in South Carolina's rural low country. Today, we return with Glenn Smith and Avery Wilkes on the second part of our Murdoch recap, giving you the full story so far of this twisting and turning saga. Yeah, and you, and you got to remember too. So this this shooting, stage suicide, uh, it occurs over Labor Day weekend, right? And it's it's already months have gone by now since the shooting of Maggie and Paul. There's no discernible progress in the case. People people are still you know freaked out in the area about this. You know who's out there doing this now? Now the you know the patriarch of the family has been shot in the head. So so there's you know all this commotion over this again. Very little coming out of the official sources to to fill this vacuum. And, you know, that he's he's airlifted the hospital with a head wound. And, and then, oh, you know, the, a couple of days later, these revelations, money's missing from the firm. That's sort of the the apology from him that he's let all these people down. And, and even worse, he's taken the, the eye off the ball, taken attention away from the hunt for Maggie and Paul's killer. That needs to be the preeminent thing. Uh, his attorneys appear on, on, on morning shows talking about a separate investigation, still looking for those killers, uh, killer or killers, and that there may be some promising leads that they, they plan to turn over to investigators. Um, and then when the charges are filed against them for staging this thing, suddenly you know Murdoch is hauled into court, pulled back from this drug rehab place uh, in Georgia, and lo and behold, uh, nobody sees any sign of a head wound. He's been shot in the head, yet doesn't even look like he's at a shave spot where someone might have touched up the wound. Um, so again, that begins what really happened here and uh, whole, all sorts of new conspiracy theories emerge. So a few days after this Labor Day shooting, um, a lawsuit is filed that really uh, cracks open the lid on uh, what we now know is Alec Murdoch's uh, financial schemes over the past decade. Uh, the lawsuit is filed on behalf of um, Gloria Satterfield's sons. Gloria Satterfield was the longtime housekeeper and nanny for the Murdoch family. She had died in early 2018 after a trip and fall on the steps of uh, the Murdoch's family home. Uh, and uh, this, this lawsuit really starts to show uh, what PMPED had earlier alleged when they say that, um, you know, that Murdoch had uh, stolen from uh, from people who trusted him. So uh, the lawsuit, uh, which was later amended as as the attorneys Eric Bland and Ronnie Richter learned more about this scheme, um, essentially alleges a conspiracy by Alec Murdoch, um, the local bank, uh, Palmetto State Bank, and uh, one of Ellick's buddies, uh, Buford attorney, Corey Fleming. Uh, and it says that after the death of Gloria Satterfield, Murdoch approached her sons at the funeral and encouraged them to file a wrongful death claim against them. And he says that they can get some money if they do that. Uh, he encourages them to hire Corey Fleming. He does not tell them that Corey Fleming is uh, a longtime friend of his, a uh, college roommate, went to law school with him. Uh, and also the uh, the godfather of his youngest son, Paul. Um, so they uh, hire Corey Fleming to represent them. Fleming brings this wrongful death claim against Murdoch, uh, and he negotiates two settlements uh, uh, on, on their behalf. 
from Murdoch's uh, two insurance policies worth $4.3 million. Um, they are encouraged to hire um, a guy named Chad Westendorf, who is the vice president of Palmetto State Bank, uh, to represent them and handle the money. Oddly, they are not told about the fact that the settlement even exists. Um, so uh, Westendorf, by his own ambition, really falls down on the job here. Um, and, uh, you know, it takes a couple years for the Satterfields to actually realize that the settlements uh, were uh, negotiated on their behalf. Uh, and that's when they filed the lawsuit to figure out what happened to the money and where it went. Uh, ultimately, as this lawsuit develops, it is determined that um, the money was essentially stolen by Alec Murdoch. Um, he had Corey Fleming uh, send the money uh, to a fraudulent bank account that he created uh, and named Forge, which is uh, the name of a financial institution in Atlanta that actually creates structured settlements for people who win lawsuits or settlements. Um, but this Forge account just belonged to Alec Murdoch, and he used it to uh, essentially take the money that was supposed to go for the Satterfield sons uh, to himself. It was about $3.4 million that he, that he wound up stealing. Um, so this is the first major scheme uh, that, that Murdoch is accused of carrying out, um, leveraging his relationships with other attorneys and with bankers uh, to basically divert uh, uh, legal settlements uh, that were owed to his clients and, and people who trusted him uh, and, and basically divert them to himself uh, that he used to pay down debts, um, you know, pay back friends, personal loans. Um, and, uh, and, and this is really what uh, begins to snowball into what we now see as, you know, dozens of criminal indictments, uh, you know, nearly a dozen lawsuits that accuse Murdoch of stealing uh, roughly $9 million from uh, his law partners, his legal clients, and other people who, like the Satterfields, trusted him. Yeah, and the case, the Satterfield case, also begins to pull the pull the lid off. Some of the some of the connections that Alec Murdoch has in the community uh, to powerful figures, you know, just as the boat crash did. Um, here's a situation where the judge presiding over the settlements, uh, Circuit Judge Carmen Mullen, was one of the judges who had recused herself from the boat crash case. Um, she never stated a reason for doing so, but had clearly had ties to the Murdoch family. She, she was uh, in the same law school class at the University of South Carolina as both Murdoch and Corey Fleming, the other attorney in the case. Um, interestingly enough, uh, Chad Westendorf uh, from Palmetto uh, State Bank, he had been selected to be the family's personal representative. Now, now what that is, is, is somebody who's supposed to look out for the family's interests and make sure that they're, that everything is being done by the books. And it's, it's one of the guardrails in place in, the, in South Carolina's probate system to make sure that this sort of thing doesn't happen. So a, a deposition emerges uh, in which Chad Westendorf says um, that he was never really told what he was supposed to do uh, in that role. Um, he never spoke with the family by phone or in person, had no idea who they were. Uh, and sat there in some of these hearings and had no clue what he was supposed to be doing. Nobody was telling him, so he just sort of sat there. And he tells a story about the settlement uh, basically being approved, one of the settlements being approved in a 
Chambers meeting with Judge Mullen, uh, Fleming, Murdoch, and um, that the judge in his his telling of the story allows the uh, settlement not to be put on the books, uh, which he took as a um, sort of a favorite of Murdoch, I guess, to not put it on the books so that the attorneys in the boat crash case would not really get a clue as to what his insurance coverage was or what means he had and what his payout was in that case. So the settlement never gets filed. Uh, We still haven't really heard from Judge Mullen as to uh, what her version of that event is. Uh, A couple of complaints have been filed, one by Bland, uh, the attorney for the Satterfield family, another by uh, First Circuit solicitor David Pascoe, uh, questioning the judge's... um, actions in that case, and that's gone to the state judicial watchdog for investigation. Uh, That's been about six months or so since those complaints have been filed, and we haven't heard anything from them as to the status of that investigation. Yet another case, uh, you know, in this saga that raises major questions about, um, you know, the the benefit of the doubt that the Murdochs enjoyed uh, in this corner of South Carolina, their relationship with other lawyers and, and judges uh, and how they they leverage you know their name and their relationship to uh, influence the administration of justice in the 14th Circuit. Um, so really, this Satterfield case uh, it starts the ball down the hill, and uh, it, it begins sort of a snowball effect, and it leads to criminal indictments and, and more lawsuits. And suddenly, um, you know, people who represented or who were represented by Murdoch over the years are, uh, you know, uh, looking into their own cases and the law firm PMPED, they're they're looking into uh, Murdoch's past cases to see, um, you know, where he may have misappropriated money. Uh, they're turning over their findings to law enforcement. Um, you know, a state grand jury is probing these alleged financial crimes as part of a, a web of criminal investigations into the Murdoch family. Um, and, you know, over the past year, uh, on sort of a rolling basis, Murdoch has been indicted on dozens and dozens of financial crimes, basically alleging that he used, uh, in many cases, that same fraudulent bank account, uh, the Forge account, to siphon money away from his legal clients, uh, you know, millions and millions of dollars in settlements uh, that they didn't even know they were owed. You know, these are uh, legal agreements, uh, payouts that he negotiated on their behalf, and they may have gotten a slice of that money, but they did not know uh, reportedly uh, the, the total amount they were supposed to get. And so Murdoch was just essentially pocketing, um, you know, uh, the rest. And, you know, we know that he had major financial problems. His bank accounts were overdrawn. Uh, And so he's taking this money that's supposed to go to his clients and he's paying off personal debts. Uh, You know, he's paying off family members. He's paying down, um, you know, all all kinds of debts and and, uh, shoring up his bank account. Uh, And so the state grand jury sort of has a field day uh, with this. And, um, you know, other people get charged. Corey Fleming gets charged by the state grand jury. Um, Eventually, Curtis Edward Smith gets charged with laundering the money that Murdoch is taking and uh, and using uh, some of it, at least, to uh, buy uh, drugs and pills for, for Murdoch's use. So um, it really, the, the Satterfield settlement scheme and, and the lawsuit that, that unraveled it 
um, really leads to a, a ton of revelations about uh, Murdoch's financial crimes that come out in, in further lawsuits and in criminal indictments. Yeah, the coziness with which the system down in Hampton County operated, both uh, you know within the court system and, and in the community, the Murdoch family had a lot of power and clout, and I think it earned trust over time because they did favors for people. Alec was was generally well regarded before all this. I think he'd even served as president of the State Trial Lawyers Association. And I think a lot of the people that have been swept up in this case, Corey Fleming, Curtis Edward Smith, and, and Russell Lafitte, the former president of Palmetto State Bank, who lost his job in the wake of all this, have really tried to say, hey, we weren't at fault here. We we fell under his charm and we we were just as much victims as the people who got ripped off and we don't deserve you know, to be held criminally liable for the actions. Um, what, what do you think about the fact that Alec Murdoch has not been indicted as well, uh, since his name turns up all over these, this indictment um, and the, the amended indictment against Lafitte? He's been sort of this unindicted co-conspirator in this all. What do you think the strategy of the feds are that, that we don't see him facing charges just yet? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's there's plenty of uh, of, uh, of evidence there that, that Murdoch uh, may have committed financial crimes. So it's it's a fair question to ask, why haven't they indicted him, the feds? Um, one easy answer, and I, I don't know for sure that this is their thinking, is that uh, if the federal government indicts Murdoch, um, you know, he's very likely to uh, just plead guilty to those charges and, uh, and, and, and get sent to a federal prison. Um, not sure how many people know this, but uh, if you ever get into legal trouble, you would much rather live in federal prison than uh, the State Department of Corrections, uh, especially if you get sent to a, a minimum security uh, federal prison. Your quality of life is going to be uh, much, much better than if you are at a, um, a state correctional institution. So uh, my guess is that maybe the, the feds don't want to uh, give Murdoch an easy out. Uh, and, and they don't want him to spend, you know, the first 10 or 20 years of his sentence uh, in a cozy uh, federal institution. So this sort of um, uh, and, and, and who knows? I mean, they may eventually come in and, and, and file charges against him. But uh, my guess is that there's going to be some um, uh, it, it's going to be a game of timing. Uh, you know, and they could potentially wait until the, uh, the double murder trial, uh, which is a, a state trial, has been resolved. And, uh, you know, if, if it turns out that Murdoch is destined for a um, uh, state prison, then you might see the feds come in and, and charge him with federal crimes. The first of the many Murdoch legal cases to reach trial uh, involved Russell Lafitte, a 51-year-old uh, former banker from Hampton, a friend of the Murdoch family. Uh, his family owns the Palmetto State Bank. And Lafitte went to trial in November in federal court on six federal fraud counts uh, for helping disbarred attorney Alec Murdoch steal nearly $2 million from his clients. Lafitte's trial lasted eight days in federal court. So he was accused of diverting Murdoch's client's settlement checks to the lawyer's benefit at his direction. Lafitte deposited the funds into accounts belonging to Murdoch, his family members, and those he owed debts to. He's also accused of misusing bank funds to cover Murdoch's debts and negative balances on his bank accounts and to repay a former client whose funds had been stolen. Lafitte's charges stem not only from his role as an executive at his family's bank, but in a separate role as a court-appointed custodian of some Murdoch client's settlement funds. He has said that he deposited their checks on Murdoch's behalf. He didn't notice their names on the memo lines. So this case, uh, again, the first one to go to trial, 
lasted eight days, really, really painstakingly uh, dove into all sorts of arcane banking rules and regulations, uh, probate issues, and, and some heartrending testimony from people who had been victimized. Um, came to a head on uh, November 22nd when it uh, goes to the jury. They deliberate 10 hours without reaching a verdict. Then it looks like the case is falling apart at night after they have this pizza dinner. The jury comes back, does these notes going to the judge saying uh, one lady uh, says apparently that she needs to take an antibiotic. Another person complains of anxiety issues. And then there's some uh, note that comes to the judge that indicates jurors are having problems with someone on the panel who is hostile to deliberating. Looks like there's no way they're going to reach a verdict that night, uh, maybe even never. Suddenly, two jurors are replaced. They go back into deliberating, and shortly thereafter, they have a verdict, and Lafitte is found guilty on all six counts. And he hasn't been sentenced yet. He was sent home uh, that night. Um, he's going to be free on bail till they figure that out. But he, he faces some pretty stiff stuff. He was convicted on what count each of bank fraud, wire fraud, and conspiracy, plus three counts of misapplication of bank funds. Each of the six charges carries a maximum sentence of up to 30 years in prison, a million-dollar fine, or both. Uh, remains to be seen if he'll get all that time or, or a portion of it. It'll be interesting. It'll probably take several weeks, if not months, to issue a pre-sentence report and, and delve into some of the factors of his crimes, his life, and uh, possibility for rehabilitation. They'll have to consider the federal sentencing guidelines. Also unclear what this means for Murdoch. He hasn't been charged in the federal system yet, but that could be because they were trying to see what the, how the case would play here and to use that as possible leverage against him. So stay tuned on that. Next up, it looks like we'll see the actual murder trial itself. The double murder case is scheduled for January 23rd in Colleton County where the murders occurred, and it looks like it's, it's proceeding as planned. There had been plans to try the boat crash case in which Mallory Beach was killed on January 9th. But on the same day a jury was deliberating Lafitte's fate, a separate judge uh, opted to move that trial on the boat crash case to sometime in April. Murdoch's attorneys had argued that it was really unfair to have him try to prepare for his double murder case while also trying to defend himself in the boat crash case. There was also some concern he might be asked about things that could have implications on his murder trial, and I don't think anyone wanted to risk an appeal on that case. So it looks like January 23rd for the murders, and then sometime in April for the boat crash. That's all for now. As always, stay tuned with the Post and Courier for the latest updates in this case. You can follow along at postandcourier.com slash Murdoch updates. Follow us on Twitter at Post and Courier. And we encourage you to send questions, feedback, and tips to our Murdoch email address. That's Murdoch at postandcourier.com. Today's episode was hosted by Avery Wilkes and Glenn Smith. Produced by Nathan Stevens. Music provided by Alexa Music. We'll see you next time.